you, Lord. A lot of people don't have peace in their life. They're walking around in turmoil. They're anxious. They're, they're, uh, have a lot of anxiety and rushing and trying to make things and make things happen. God wants to give a man peace and rest. But he can't have that peace and rest till he comes at it full trust in the Lord and comes to know the Lord. Amen. He's got to come to know the Lord and turn his heart toward God Amen. and not the world. Amen. We talk about there being two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and is the kingdom of the world. Mm -hmm. Man never needs to make up his mind whether he wants the kingdom of the world and live for the world. He wants the kingdom of God. Amen. To be in between is the worst place to be. And the next worst place to be is being in the kingdom of the world, trying to find happiness and peace in yes. all this in the world. He said he set them before man. In uh, Matthew chapter 13, he talks about the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. Yes. You can't enter the kingdom of God, Brother Don, if you got all kind of sin going on in your life. The Bible says that That's true. in 1 Corinthians 6 9 that you know, that know you not that the unrighteous shall not enter the kingdom of God. You're not living in the kingdom of God. You, go, you don't have that peace. Right. You don't have that joy. You can't have it. Amen. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10. He said that, think not that I came to bring peace. I didn't come to bring peace. But I came to, to bring variance in people's own families even. Or mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Mother against children, children against parents mm -hmm. for the gospel's sake because God wants you to stand up for the truth. That's right. But then another place in John 14, he says, peace I give you. Mm. Well, Lord, you said in Matthew 10, you didn't come to give us peace. He says, but peace I give you, but it's not like the world gives, he said. Yeah. Amen. The peace I give is not like the world gives. The peace he gives, he gives a peace that's inside. That all hell can be going on on the outside, and you at peace on the inside. Come on, yes. You see? That's the peace the Lord gives. He's not trying to make everything go right on the outside for you. He wants it all right on the inside. And when you have the peace on the inside, it doesn't matter what this world has, because you're not living for this world. Your citizenship is in heaven. It's not being a citizen here. You're not worried about all those things that's going on here. Colossians, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 says, A good soldier does not entangle himself in the affairs of this life. That's right. He's not tied up in all these things that's going on in this life. Mm -hmm. He's looking to the kingdom of God. Because exactly. that's what really matters, Brother, Brother Larry. Amen. That's what really matters. Amen. He said everything else, he says, is temporal. Mm -hmm. He said it's all going to pass away. It's going to be a little while, it's going to be all gone. And you're hanging on to all this and hanging on to who you just let it, just, just give it all to Jesus. Walk in his righteousness and have joy and peace. I want to see everybody come to a place and no longer be miserable or, or depressed. You know what, sister? I'm never depressed. I'm happy all the time. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, man, another day for Jesus. I wonder what the Lord's going to do today. And I have an expectancy in my heart. That I'm going to get a door of opportunity. And I'm going to get to share the truth with somebody. And I pray every morning. I told Cedric this yesterday. We were walking, driving the car. I said, Cedric, would you do me a favor? I said, would you pray for me to be more bold? He said, you? <laughs> I said, yeah, I want to be more bold. Uh -huh. And I said, I'm going to pray for you to be more bold. Because to speak up. Amen. And let people hear. That's what Paul said. That's right. 
Paul was in bonds. He was in, and I don't mean bonds in stocks. I'm talking about in bonds imprisonment. Right. He was in prison. Yeah. In Philippians chapter four, four, you want to read something? He was in prison, and he makes the request to the church. Yeah. Yeah. Now you would think he was there in bonds. He, he had shackles on his hands and his feet, and you think he'd make a request and say, "Man, pray that God gets me out of this situation." He didn't say that. He said, "I got a request." He said that you would pray that God would make me more bold to speak forth the mysteries yeah. of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. That's what that should be our desire. It's not about all this stuff. Yeah. We're just passing through this place. We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Amen. We're not looking for no mansion here, Don. Ooh, We're looking for an eternal God. kingdom. Praise the Lord. Mm. We're just passing the time of our sojourning doing what we must to provide and take care, but our heart is set on the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That's why we meet here today, yes, set on the kingdom. Lord. I want to tell you just a quick story before we get into the lesson. Do you mind if I do so? In the book of, in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 13, there was a young man who became king right after King Manasseh. Uh -huh. His name was Josiah. Uh -huh. I named Dave, my son David after Josiah. I named him David Josiah Smith uh -huh. because, I, because I think so much of Josiah. Josiah became a king when he was eight years old. That's right. Eight years old. Mm -hmm. Just a young kid. You know, who says you can't bring your kids to hear the true gospel? This man was a king. This little boy at eight years old was a king of all of Judah. And, and his daddy, Manasseh, and them, they had kind of gone, the kings of the past before him were going in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. They were worshiping idols. They were worshiping, they were, they were going after the things of the world. They were uh, committing adultery and idolatry. And, and little, little Josiah said, I want to follow the Lord at eight years old. He said, I'm going to follow the Lord. So he starts his reign at eight years old. By the time he was 16, he said, let's go. He said, I want to tear down all, the, all these old altars of Baal. I want to run all those prophets, those old false prophets out. I want to clean up the land for God. What a wonderful thing. Then eight years old, later, when he was 24 years old, Josiah said this. He took the treasurer who took care of all the, all the things for the, for the money and everything. He says, I want you to make an offering box in the temple mm -hmm. because I want to rebuild the temple. It's been destroyed. Nothing's been done with it for years. He says, I want to raise the money so that we can hire people to come in and rebuild this temple. Mm -hmm. So he put the offering box in there, and they were cleaning up the temple and starting to do some work in it. And Josiah didn't hear much about it, so he wanted a report. So he called the treasurer in. And they brought the, the treasurer came in and said, yeah, we got the money. We've been doing it. But there's this guy in there, and he, and, and, and he found this book up in the temple. Mm -hmm. He said he found this book, Don. And he says, uh, I, I, I want to read. I want to get somebody to read it to you, Josiah. And, and so he said, okay, open the book and read it. Mm -hmm. Well, it was the Bible, mm -hmm. the Word of God. Oh, okay. mm -hmm. And he starts reading that book and starts reading about the commandments of God. And starts reading about what God's, the blessings and the cursings, that if the Lord says, if you do these things and you obey me, I'm going to bless the land. I'm going to bless you going in. I'm going to bless you going out. I'm going to bless your cattle. I'm going to bless everything that you do. I'm going to, I'm going to just pour out my blessing. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you joy. I'm going to do all these things. Amen. But if you said, if you turn your back on me, you will stir up my anger and my wrath. And then curses will come upon you. There, will be, there won't be any rain. There's going to be uh, droughts. There's going to be sicknesses. That, you know, your enemies are going to come and fight against you and win. You're going to have all these curses. And when Josiah heard that, the Bible says that he rent his clothes, he tore his clothes. And he said, man, let's seek the Lord. And begin to seek the Lord. And, and a prophet, prophetess, one of the prophetess, actually, he went to, one of them that went to, and the, and the woman prophet says, says uh, 
because because Josiah was there like man, all our fathers have gone and, and done all this wickedness. Mm-hmm. The cursings are coming. And it scared him. He was afraid, the Bible said, because all the curses were going to come upon the land and upon that city. He says, man, seek the Lord. And so, so what the prophet says, that's right. It is going to happen. God is going to curse the land for what man has done by turning your back on me. It's going to come. But because you, are, you have humbled yourself, Josiah, and you've turned around and you've made a difference in your life, you, re- you, you repented, basically. He says, then I'm going to keep that from happening until after you're de- dead and gone. It's not going to happen on the land. Mm. So Josiah was, was really blessed. So Josiah calls all the assembly together, calls everybody together. He says, this is what we're going to do. He said, we're going to serve God with all our heart. Praise God. He said, we're going to obey all his commandments mm-hmm. and all of his stand- statutes. We're going to be obedient to the Lord, and we're going to walk in holiness mm-hmm. the rest of our days. And the Bible said they did. Mm-hmm. And he said, we're going to bless God. And when he was 24 years old, he said that. But I'm just thinking about it. When he saw that book, when he saw this, and he saw the commandments of God in there, he said, we're going we're gonna to change. We're going to keep this now. We're going to be obedient. He didn't try to take the book, Don, and say, you know what? I'm going to try to change these words and make them fit my life. Mm-hmm. He said, our lives got to fit what this word says. We've got to have a new one. We've got to have a change of mind. We've got to have repentance. Yeah. And the Bible says, the Lord said, because you've humbled yourself. Because you got broken, you had that godly sorrow, and you humbled yourself to me, and you committed to me, and you turned and turned it around, and the people around. I'm not going to destroy you through that. Mm-hmm. What a blessing! Oh. I was just thinking about that this morning. I said, "Man, I, just such a beautiful story of Josiah. How just that." And and you know, Jesus was 12 years old when he when his family and him went to visit Jerusalem, and they had gone there. And you know the story. He was very young. He was only 12 years old. Uh, as a matter of fact, turn there. That's in the book of Luke. I think it's Luke chapter chapter three. No, it's Luke chapter two. Excuse me. Luke chapter two. He's twelve years old, and he goes to the temple with his parents, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Jesus is there, and he goes in there in, in the midst of the doctors, mm-hmm. and, and not, vi- not physician doctors, but doctors of theology. Yes. And he begins to hear them, and he asks them, he's asking them questions, and everybody that was hearing him, we're down to verse 47, everybody that was hearing him were, were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Mm-hmm. And when they saw him, they were amazed. It, well, his, his mother and him saw him with, with amazement because they didn't know where he was. He had been gone, and they, they went back to look for him, That's you know? Right. You, remember, you remember the story, okay. and, and, and you, you remember when all that's not the point I'm making, but, but Jesus was only 12 years old. Mm-hmm. He's like Josiah, yeah. but he wanted to hear the word of God. Oh, yeah. And you know, he didn't go to no little Sunday school class for kids. No. He went where the doctors of theology were and all. He said, well, he was God. He was Jesus. Well, let, let, me, let me show you something here. It says here in verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You think, well, how could Jesus increase in wisdom? He knew all things. Well, you see, when Jesus, he emptied himself of the Godhead when he came here on earth. And he grew up like a little child in wisdom 
and learned obedience through the things he suffered and grew in wisdom, and he grew in favor to the Lord. And he was able to go amongst the, the, the older ones, you know, and that's what I'm showing. Like little Josiah, Jesus, he, they didn't go to little Sunday school classes. They went to hear the real word of God. And the, and the word of God ministered to their hearts and their lives were changed. That's what makes it so beautiful when he was tempted like we are done and he overcame, showing us that we can walk the same walk. He was what an example he was. You know, he grew in wisdom and understanding and, and, and in stature and in favor to God. He was already God's favorite, right? He grew in favor to God, became more, more in favor to the Lord. So I just, I just, that was just thinking that this morning. What a blessing. Praise God. Okay, we want to, anybody have anything on their hearts before we get started? Anybody have something they want to share or something on their hearts or need or, or anything going on? Praise the Lord. Everything good? Good. <laughs> I ran over a bunch, a lot, dude. <laughs> and it never really meant what it meant to me today, because you know, ministering to some of these guys, that oh yeah, they agree, but they're not. It's just the devil just come right in. And just and that's what it says. The devil will come right in and like the thorns. He notice there when he says that, Ben. It's also found in Matthew thir chapter thirteen, and and he says that the kingdom of heaven is likened unto this. And that's how, did y'all find it a little warm in here? Yeah. Is it kind of warm? Would you turn that air conditioner? I know Christian's got to be warm. He's always warm. That's actually not the thorny <laughs> Those are the ones that fell by the, wheat, uh, the wayside and were picked up by the foul of the air yeah. is where the, the Well, I, I've read it, and it just, and I've read it, like I said, a bunch. And today it really stuck out to me because I, I minister to some guys, and it's like, it, and it says, if you have ear, I forget exactly what it says, but let the ears, if you have the ears, listen. And, and basically it kind of gives me, I mean, do they even hear a word you're saying? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, it's not to say that you just don't minister at all. It, you know, it, well, 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 let me let me share with you. The Bible, Jesus said this. He said, if you'll seek me with all of your heart, That's right. I will be found. Sure. Look, it's the glory of God to conceal the thing, but the honor of a king to search out a matter. you got to want this bad. Sure. It's not no lackadaisy. And, and I tell people all the time, man, you just don't have enough desire. You don't have enough fear of God in your heart, you know, to really turn. Because he says the kingdom of heaven is likened unto one that went out and sowed seed. Uh, and and, and the, the seed is the, is the word of God. And where he sows it is the world. And the one sowing it is the Lord. He yeah. sows the seed. And he says some seed fell on the wayside, right? And he said, he said those are the ones that the fowls of the air, that like they, they heard the word. But the fowls of the air came and, 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 and got the word right out of their heart. It's like, it's the devil. He, they hear it, but they, it's not that interesting, you know, so, it's not, so it just comes and goes. So that's the first person. The next one is, is, is a seed goes forth and it falls upon stony ground. The stony ground is like, it didn't have enough, you know, you fall, you, like say I was, say I was spraying weeds between the cracks in the concrete. That's kind of stony ground. 
So if you plant a plant in that stony ground, it's not going to have enough rootness of earth to be able to really make a plant bring forth fruit because there's not enough there. So it's choked, you know, it's, it, it, but it, because it, it has no rootness. It didn't, it, didn't really, it didn't really dig. It didn't really want it bad enough, you know, to continue. It, it received the word, Bible says, with joy for a little while. It had, had joy and it came up, but it didn't, but it didn't go on. So many people fall into that. Because a lot of people, get, they go forth and they start to get it. They get a touch of God and they think, and the preacher's telling them they're saved. They're not saved. They just, they, you got, he said, if you, unless you continue, you're my disciple. But they, they don't continue. They endure for a while, but then they fall away because they're offended. The next seed fell upon what? Upon the thorns and the briars, which are the cares and the riches of this world. It choked the word. The cares and riches of the world choked the word. So that if you choked, you can't get it in and you can't get it out. You know, you, you, you can't get it down because they start, they caring about, well, I got, I got to go to work today. I don't have time to go, to go fellowship. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. I got to do this. I got to do that. You know, the kingdom of God is not important enough. There's not enough desire there again. And they, and, and they fall away. But the last one that falls on good ground brings forth fruit some 60, some 800 fold. And, and it's, you know, it's just. it in a good heart, too. You remember the last one? really. Where's that verse you show me a scripture where, <laughs> where you're equating this stuff because that's what man wants to do is they want to say that they just think that God's okay with it and they're wrong. When I read out adulterers, fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, he says, well, the thing is this, if I'm going to go to hell for this behavior and I serve that kind of God, I don't want to be a part of it. Really said, made his choice. At least you're honest. He made his choice. Uh, he made honest, his choice. Yeah, but honestly, a lot of... Well, you don't so-called honest I mean, people that way and not going to Yeah, one of the thing about it is, is that in this lifestyle, these, these guys that I, that I talk to, um, if they're, I can appreciate being honest because most of them are so, so, so much in deception that they don't even know if they're telling. They, they have just, their life is nothing but dishonest. Mm-hmm. It's just the way that they operate. But the, the one thing that you notice about the parable is he's broadcasting the seed. He's not stopping to check and see what type of soil. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, everybody has the opportunity. Yeah, what Don said. Yeah. Keep on just uh, sharing the message, and because you can get really discouraged with almost like a "what's the point" type of deal, because none of these guys want. Yeah, but it's the word. It's the word that won't return. That's right. That's right. Not, not us. <laughs> well, that, that's right. Because we do. Well, it's either, either going to accomplish death or life. It will be. It will take. We got to do our okay. part. That's what I said. Listen, I got to tell you this. I can't go along and say what you're doing is good. Because if you want to say you serve God and you're living in this behavior, you were wrong. Going to church this morning with this girl that you're with, and he said, I knew you were going to say this. And yeah, you did, because... I don't know about you guys. Every day I wake up, my heart is broken. I, I stay with a broken heart. Even though I have peace and joy, I stay with a broken heart. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Because of so many people that profess Christianity, 
and they don't live it. They profess they're Christians, and they don't. They, they continue in sin, and and uh, they're not Christians. And I and I'm I'm just I, I just want to be more bold to speak up to people that that go to these places, no know, even knowing this, like Bethany, go to Bethany, or go to healing place, or go to uh, uh, the Church of Santa Maria. All these places that preach that you can continue to sin and go to heaven. It just it just makes me sick because I know so I know that I know that I know what the Bible says. And I don't get it why people keep going to those places and they know that it's wrong and they know that it's not right according to the word and, they, they, and it's going to send them to hell. That doctrine will send you to hell because you're not going to get to heaven with sin even though they continue to preach that you, 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 it's by faith alone. It's not by faith alone. James says that can faith save you? Can faith alone save you? He says, God forbid, no. Faith without works is dead. And what are the works? The workmanship that brings forth works of, 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 of the fruits of God, the holiness and righteousness. Without holiness, no man's going to see the Lord. Yeah. Amen. I, I, you know, you say, well, why do you keep repeating? Because nobody seems to get it. Most people don't get it. They, they don't. And, and you tell them, but then they just, they just get mad at you sometimes, you know. <laughs> it's just that. I told somebody the other day, I said, I said man, I says, why are you going to send yourself to hell? You know that's not the truth. I've shared with you. You agree with it, but yet you still don't do anything about it. I told another one again. I said, man, you, you going, you're going to another place? You're going to, I, I, he said, you're going to a different church. Well, me and my family decided to go somewhere. I said, you're going there. You don't care anything about your family? You're going to send them to hell with you? I said, you need to really look at the word of God. I said, because you go in there because your family wants to go, because you want to go, because you enjoy it more, because you have children's church, you have this, these activities, and you have all this stuff. That's no good. You, you got to stick with what the Word of God says, man. That's why he said there's so few that's going to enter. Few is going to enter, because it's a straight and narrow way. It's not broad. It's not that way. church on a Sunday morning to feel good about their sin, living in sin. And, and they come up with every excuse, but they're not searching the word. That's that's for sure. Well, when I was a Catholic, and I grew up a Catholic, Don, you did too. We all did. We went to, we, I went to confession every week. And I sat in that confession, and I said, bless me, Father, if I have sinned. My last <laughs> confession was last week. These are the sins I've done. I probably blew his mind. And he said, you did that many in a week, you know. And I'd come out of there and he'd say, say three Hail Marys, two act of contrition, you know, and our Father and for my penance. So I'd go, you remember that, Mary? So I'd go do that, and I felt good. Felt okay, but then that, that night I was going out again, and I knew I was going out. There was never a repentance. It was just, I'm sorry, but I, I'm going to do it again. And, and then we do the same thing when we got into Protestant church. You know, I, well, I'm sorry I did it. We called it repentance. It wasn't repentance. It was, it was, a, sor it was a worldly sorrow. But Ben, you, you made a good point. <laughs> repent of your repentance, yeah. You made a good point. In, in Romans chapter 2, it says, it's the goodness of God to lead a man to repentance. And whatever, that way, it, it, you know, and I pray this for, 
for a lot of people are praying, God, give them a horrible dream or something. Show them themselves in hell. Show them whatever it takes before it's too late. Because on that final day when you're there and you're standing between just you and God and you're standing there, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? It's too late. Now's the day of salvation. Now's the time to live a life in the holy life in Christ. He said without that holiness you won't make it. So, that's my thought. where the scripture is that reads from birth it is installed in us to know right from wrong who's, who's asking that it actually says from birth you don't know you don't have knowledge of either from birth Ecclesiastes huh Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 29 yeah and also um, Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse yeah so and so all right, let's turn to anybody else have any comment, anything to say? Okay, let's go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. That's where we're in, right? That's where we, let, we finish chapter 2. I think so. Right? I think we did. Yeah. 1 Peter chapter 3. Hold on to your seats. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Hold on to your seats. You ready? <laughs> Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation or the way the wife lives. Conversation means the behavior, means the way they live. So we have here a scripture that says, first of all, and I'm just going to preach it like it says. I, I'm not uh, um, chauvinistic or prejudiced to one to the other. Right. But here it is, it is confronting women to begin with. Mm -hmm. Wives. Mm -hmm. Women that are married to a, to a man. And it tells them what kind of behavior that God is pleased with and what kind of behavior he is not pleased with. And the first thing he says is women to be subject 
to your husbands. What does being subject to the husband mean? Somebody want to comment on that? Do what your husband says. Okay. Right. Subject to be submissive uh, would be another word for that. To be under their authority, right? Under their headship. We know in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, chapter 11, it says that the head of every woman is the man. And the head of the man is Christ. That's the way that, that's God's order. It's not my order. It's not, I'm not trying to make a doctrine. We're just going to read the scripture for what it says. You know, if you look at the scriptures always in its simplicity along with all the other scriptures, it's, it's very, very simple of what it says. This is the order God made from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. He made the woman for, for Adam because so he, he saw it was not good that man should live alone and she was to be his helpmate. And, and he also said, when, after they had sinned, he, he, the important curse was the woman, he told the woman that she would have a child, a childbearing, and through much pain she would have that child, and that her desire would be her husband, but the husband would rule over the wife. That's from the beginning. That's not a new doctrine. That's in Genesis chapter 3, and it goes all the way through. So it, but then it says that the woman is not to win the husband over by just talking a bunch of words by trying to convince and trying to just talk back at him and make him, you know, make him see. But the way that she's to win her husband, if, there's, if her husband is in error, is by the way that she lives, by her behavior, not necessarily words. So actually, it says that uh, what's of great price, uh, he goes down and, and he said that uh, the woman, um, verse 4, he says, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in which is not corruptible, even the ornament of, of a meek and a quiet spirit. So he wants the woman to have a meek and a quiet spirit, which in, is in the sight of God of great price. You want to be of great price in the sight of God? Then have a meek and a quiet spirit. And you have a great price. Right? So this is the way God has it. Now, if somebody, as a man or as a husband, I'm not going to force my wife to do anything. Right. I'm going to share with her and say, this is what we need to do. And I discuss things like we, we decide we're going to hang a picture on the wall. She puts the picture wherever she wants. Yeah. Because I said, that's all yours, baby. I don't want, to make, I don't want that decision. That's yours. You put the picture where you want. <laughs> you know? But things that may make a big difference financially or whatever, we talk about. And then if there's not an agreement and somebody has to make a decision, then I'll make the decision. But if there's something that I don't want to do, or there's been times where I said, honey, don't do that. You know, if it's something maybe regarding a child or regarding something that I feel like the Lord says, you don't need to do that. I said, don't do it. And, and she, she's a wonderful wife. And she always, even if she doesn't feel it, she'll still obey me. And that's a blessing to have a wife like that. But uh, even if she didn't, and she said, no, I'm going to do it anyway, then I would say that's between you and God now. I did my part. I told you what to do. Now you're putting yourself in the hands of God by disobeying what I say, but I'm not going to make you do it. I'm just going to tell you what you need to do and what you should do. That's the difference. And, and you know, when a woman does that, then she's really coming outside of the head of the husband and saying, I'm going to do it because I think God wants me to do it. No, God doesn't work that way. God works through the husband for the man. Unless she has an unbelieving husband. Unless it comes against the word of God. 
where you're saying something there like the Word of God says something, your husband's trying to tell you to lie or cheat, tell him this or that. No, you don't do that. You do what the Word of God says. But it says uh, that the woman is to win, the wife is to win her husband over by the way she lives, being an example in the way she lives, in that holiness, that righteous life of being that kind of woman. She will, will win, and many women have done that. Won their husbands that were even heathens that they married before they came to the Lord. She gets comes to the Lord, and they win their their husbands over. While they behold, listen to this. While they behold your chase conversation coupled with fear. That is a loaded little scripture. First of all, I want to break that down. They, they behold, they see something, right? Behold means to see. Okay, what are they seeing? Your chase conversation. Chase, what, is, what does it mean, a chase, first of all? What does that word mean? Somebody tell me. Go after? Huh? Go after something? No, no, no. It's ch- I know what the word chase in that way means, like the English word chase oh. means that. But in this means more of a lot like a chastity, more like chastity type chase, okay? What does this word chase mean? Anybody know? Anybody look it up? Pure. That's pure? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Holy, pure, without sin, blameless. That's what chase means. I mean, go look it up in the Strongs. So this, this chase behavior means it is a holy behavior. It is a pure behavior. It is a like, blameless behavior. She's winning him over by her, her holy way of living. Yes. You see? By her being so, such a, and that's beautiful in the sight of the Lord, you know, yes. but she's sticking to that holy way of living, coupled with fear. Mm-hmm. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. She is wanting to please God and fears eternal damnation, fears of not doing something right in the Lord and really walking in the right, in the, in the way of God. Whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair, of wearing of gold, of putting on of apparel. I've heard some people say, see there, you, women shouldn't wear any, uh, 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 shouldn't plait their hair, they shouldn't wear any gold, they shouldn't put on any, any clothes then, right? <laughs> I guess you wouldn't put on any apparel. Now what it's saying is that's not the, necessarily the beauty. I mean, that's good things. We like that. Guys, uh, husbands like their wives to be pretty and to put on those things, but that's not what's really the most attractive thing in a woman. No. The most attractive thing, I've seen a lot of ugly women that on the outside look beautiful, but they're really ugly. You know, and, and I've seen people that didn't look so pretty on the outside, but they're so pretty on the inside, they look beautiful. Yes. You see, and that's the yes. thing. When a woman is beautiful or anybody is beautiful on the inside, the outside has, a, uh, has an attraction and a beauty because of, of that beautiful spirit they have, Cedric. You know, we, 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 you, know you see that. You, I mean, think about it. You meet a woman and she's, got, she's lo- in love with Jesus. She's living holy. And, and on the outside, it, it just makes her have that glow and that beauty, right? <laughs> okay? So, uh, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. That's right. And that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is inside of God of great price that we talked about. Anybody have any comments so far? Are we good? So, Jill? So I was going to say, while you're praying for boldness, I guess we women should be praying for quietness. <laughs> <laughs> Well, bold concerning the gospel to others, but yeah, quite, quite a beautiful spirit in the Lord, yeah. So that's uh, where uh, the Pentecostal, okay, so they have some different views on what the house of God should dress, period. 
Yeah, no, you're you're right. Yeah, and and um, but see, but see, they would maybe someone would maybe take the scripture. That's why I said it doesn't mean that you can't wear that because then you'd have to say, well, it says uh, putting on clothes. So if you're going to pay part of it, you're going to have to say, well, see, there, women shouldn't put clothes on. You see, so he's not saying that you don't wear it. He said that's not where the real beauty is. That's that's just that's fine to look upon, but really the real beauty is is having a beautiful heart in God. You know, having a beautiful well, spirit about there's it. Some scripture that talk about covering the hair, head and all that's is that old school? No, that's that's First Corinthians chapter eleven, and okay. what it's talking about there, just to give you an overview, it it talks that Paul talks about um, that a woman should keep her head covered or have long hair. Uh, and, and the man should have shorter hair, you know, or, or, or not so. But he said, but but he said during the time he said it was like that. But he said there's no such commandment. If any man had his contrary was fine. For instance, it's known that Jesus was a Nazarene. It's known that Nazarenes didn't cut their hair; they had long hair, you know. So it, during the time of Paul, perhaps it was like you know most men. He, I know he shaved his head a lot, you know. So. Yeah, he did. And, and so um, it, it's a lot to do with the culture. What He said, doesn't nature itself teach us it, it's, it's a shame for a woman to cut her hair or for a man to have long hair? Well, nature today doesn't teach us that. It, does, it, it doesn't matter. We don't look on, on whether your hair is uh, longer mine, like mine or shorter like Cedric's, you know? These long-haired Paul, guys. <laughs> when Paul was writing this with the Pharisees, there was a lot of rules and traditions you know, washing your hands. If you didn't wash your hands back then, remember he rebuked the disciples and Jesus, you know, kind of said whatever with, with the disciples well, well, washing your hands and that was a major tradition and the Sabbath. There was a lot of like man-made rules and laws. They, they really, they weren't so much man-made men as they were ordinances and, and a lot of laws of the Levitical law because they were still sacrificing lambs and goats then. See, but since then we have a new, new covenant and a, and a new promises that we don't sacrifice that because Jesus sacrificed himself for us. So we live in an, an, under another covenant. So that they don't do those such things. But getting back to this, what, what, what he's talking about here is, is having that meek and quiet spirit instead of having that all that outward adorning or, in, or inclusive of that. It's nothing wrong with, with uh, putting a little makeup on if a woman wants to, or, or wearing some gold, or, or wearing a nice dress, or whatever. It, it's, he's just trying to say that that's not where the beauty really is. The beauty is more on the inside. Basically, people take those scriptures and skew them however they want it. Actually, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says that the Lord looks not on the outward appearance, but actually looks on the heart. Amen. He looks on the inside of a person, and that's what's really important. You know. Okay, um, any other comments from there? Okay. Uh, it says for uh, verse five, for after this manner in, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned or dressed themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Okay. Um, what that means is that you're not moved off of faith by any sudden calamity or change, a thing that happens in your life. Um, she, Sarah was submissive to Abraham, and God blessed her, and you are to be daughters of Abraham. He even called Abraham 
Lord, you know, his, her Lord, her, her master, or her, her head, her headship is what it actually meant. So uh, a lot of uh, t today's society does not go along with this at all. They don't go along with this at all. It's totally against the grain of society. But this is the way that God had ordained it to work better, to work the best. Um, it's 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 what God what God made. I mean, women tend to have in natural. I think, as it says in Genesis three, a woman has to fight sometimes against trying to rule the house and do what she wants to do. It. Man, I've had man say, "Well, hey, I'm I'm just taking the path of least resistance. You know, I don't want to." have any quarrel with my wife, so I just do whatever she says. And, and then the woman ends up not even respecting the man because he has to be that in a position of authority. It would be against God. If you submit to your, your wife and she's running the whole show, you're, you will be in disobedience. That's right. Because a man's It's not God's to order. That's right. Not according to his word. Women, a person could really get where they really fight that, and they end up having a miserable marriage. They make their husband miserable. They're miserable. But when a woman will, will humble themselves to be submissive to their husbands, and the husband is, and look, it doesn't work this way, too. It doesn't work where, well, I'll submit to him if he'll really love me. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that you do this if he's doing his part. It says, do this. So by the same token, the husband loves his wife and treats her as if we're going to get to his, as a weaker vessel, regardless if she doesn't do her part. But when you do your part, God honors that. And you're going to have a blessed marriage. You're going to get along good. And you're going to be honorable to God. But women will, some women will fight to try to hold on to that authority and not... It's, it, I, I've heard women, I've heard people of their own family say, uh, I went to talk to one woman one time, uh, uh, and I, I said, why don't you just submit to your husband? And she goes, she looked like a, a, a mad hen and just rose up and said, submit to him? <laughs> <laughs> and he was there, you know. She says, I'll never submit to him, you know. And I was like, and they divorce now. You know, uh, but that's what you end up getting when you, and, and even some women don't know, I'm not, I'm not going to have no man rule over me. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to have no, I'm not going to submit to no man. He's going to walk over me like a, like he's walking on a, on a, on, on a rug when he walks in the house. Yeah. You know, and so they, they're fearful of that. That's right. That's right. Bottom line is, Jill, is, is with a woman does it, she's really not trusting God. 
She's really trying to take things in her own hands and make things happen because she wants it to work the way she wants it to work because she thinks she knows more than him and she thinks actually she knows more than God because she don't want to do it God's way. Well rewarded. Reminds me of, um, you remember when David was going through and he was conquering, he was running from Saul. Saul kept chasing him. And he went to this particular place and his men were starving, they were hungry. And he rescued this man's sheep from the enemy. And, um, and when he rescued him, he asked the man, after he had rescued his whole big flock, the man was very, very wealthy. And he said to the man, he said, um, listen, he said, would you, mind, would you feed my people? And the man refused. He said, who are you? I'm not giving you nothing. You know, and, and the man was very hard, and he, he drank a lot, and he was a mean man. And he had his wife. His wife's name was Abigail. You remember her? Remember Abigail? And, and, she, um, and, and she went forth, and she was submissive, and she did what her husband said, but, but she went forth and took some of, some of the flock, though, and, and went and gave to David, to King David all, they, to try to save her husband from getting killed. And, uh, and, and you know, just seeing how she would was under a man that was so mean, but God blessed her, and the Lord ended up killing the, <laughs> killing the man, and David ended up taking her for, to be his wife, and she became very, very blessed on the end. It's, it's like when you do it God's way and quit trying to do it your way and surrender to God's will, then God can bless it. But as long as you're trying to do it your way, God can't do anything. He's, you're blocking him. You're right in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah, but when you just, God's way is the best. Everybody can agree with that, you know. Then when you do it God's way, just do it God's way. Guys, just like, uh, you know, these single guys, you know, with, uh, and, and I admire you guys because you're, you're, you could be tempted to go find a woman of the world or somebody that doesn't really love the Lord and live in what I said. And, you could, and, 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 you know, you're living a life that's holy and you know what God's called you to do, but you want to do it God's way, and you want to do it according to his word. You can't go with it. You can't be unequally yoked. You can't go with another woman that's not uh, really living for God with all of her heart because it would be displeasing to God. Do you want to please yourself, or do you want to please God? Do you want to do it your way, or do you want to do it God's way? And, and, and when you find a woman like 1 Peter 3, then you're ready, okay? That's the kind of woman that you want in your life, a woman that's going to be submitted to God. That has that meek and that quiet spirit that, that wants to have a husband and wants to serve her husband. So we, 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 we go forward with that. So let's go now to the husband. We've been on the wife now. Anybody, any questions, any comments on the wife? Everybody, all the wives okay? <laughs> Everybody okay? Okay, I mean, it's written there. You got to go with it. Okay, verse 7. Husband's turn. Likewise, you husbands. 
dwell or live with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, what a man could possibly say, hey, I'm the head, almost looking at the woman as being less than him. Okay? Who? You read it. I've also heard teaching that if your husband doesn't turn to God, even if the wife had followed verse 31 to the best of her ability, it's on the wife's shoulders what do you think? I think it, I think it is obeying God's word, absolutely. You know, that as long as he's not telling you to do something that's against the word of God, you should be submissive to that husband. Because that's what it's talking about, you being winning that husband over by your behavior, by him seeing your life and how you live. And what, and what kind of life you're living is going to win that husband over. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you want to look there sometimes, it also talks about um, being married to an unbelieving husband. To, could you continue to dwell and live with that unbelieving husband for, and the children are sanctified by you as being a believer and that, who, that it says that you would end up saving him. And it kind of goes along just like this does in 1 Corinthians 7. By your behavior, in 1 Corinthians 7, it says you would end up saving him. But if he departs, the unbeliever departs, you're not in bondage in that case. So the same token is true. Okay, let's go now. Likewise, your husband dwell with him according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Your wife is a fellow heir with you. Uh, just as he, there's, there's not a value of saying that the man is more valuable than the woman. It's not so. Do we to treat, he didn't say the woman is the weaker vessel, because they got some women that beat, could beat their husbands up. But it says to treat them as the weaker vessel, to be tender, to be loving, to be um, to, to, uh, understanding, to l- be a listener, you know, to un- to understand what, what they're going through, uh, what, what's happening, you know, to be there with them and be supportive and encouraging to that other party, to show that love. The, the, if we go further, we can go into uh, Ephesians. Let's go there for just a minute. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 really breaks it down very similar to this. Uh, We'll start in verse 21. It says in verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So that's a submission that we submit each other to each other as a commitment, as, as in honoring one another and serving one another. But then it says here, wives, it distinguishes again, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. So look at it like, if I'm doing what my husband says to do, yeah. I'm pleasing the Lord. I'm doing what the Lord's telling me to do. Oh, yeah. And the Lord will honor that. Amen. Don't sit there and argue with your husband and tell him, you know, no, I, that's not, man, I'm not going to do that. You're crazy. You know, this is a better way, blah, blah, blah. Just do it. Just say, yes, honey. I, now you can voice to your husband and say, honey, I, I think that it would be better if we did it another way, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be submissive to you on it. But you, maybe we could sit, you think we could consider this other way? And he says, no, let's, let's do it this way. Go ahead and do it. Then submit to it. Honor the Lord in it. The Lord's pleased with that. He's not pleased with you sitting there trying to exercise your authority, trying to say no and get in an argument and start fighting with your husband 
and, and going over when he's telling you, let's do this. You're called to submit to him. Just submit to him. Do what the word of God says. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of, of the church. So in the same way, how is Christ the head of the church? Man, he's the one we listen to, right? He says, why do you call me Lord and do not the things that I say? He's the headship. He's, like if you go to work and you have the boss there, you listen to the boss. <laughs> Jesus is the boss. Whatever he says goes. And it says in the same way, wives, listen to your husbands. Just like you're going to listen to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord's going to honor that. He will honor that. Okay? So we go further. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in how many things? Everything. Everything. What about this little thing? Everything. Everything. And he says the same way. Do you, do you fight with God when you look at the Word and He tells you the Word to do something? Do you fight with Him on it? Then why would you fight with your husband about it? He's saying to submit yourself in the same way that you submit yourself to Christ. Why would you fight your husband about it? Why not just be honorable to God? Am I missing something here? Or can, you know, can somebody debate that and say, say something different? What, Ben? No, because I'm on a different scripture now. I'm not. No, I, I was on that in First Peter, but now I'm on Ephesians chapter 5. Okay? Wes? Go ahead, Wes. Yeah, I was just going to say, can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Um, that a, a lot of women would think, like, well, what does a man have to do? Well, we have to be submitted to God, for one, but then as you also talked about, we have to be submitted one to another. So it's not like we're without submission ourselves because within the body of Christ, we all are submitted one to another in the fear of God, like it said there in Ephesians chapter 5. And then also, even as the wife has to win her husband over without a word, we're subject to um, the word of God as well and that, that the word of God tells us not to repay evil for evil, but rather overcome evil with good. So those that are in the world, if they strike us on the right cheek, we are to turn to them the left. If they ask us to go one mile, we are to go two. If they ask us for a tunic, we give them our cloak as well. So we're under that same authority of the message that Jesus had taught and proclaimed for us to actually do towards worldly people, just like the wife would do to her husband if him being the unbeliever and she's winning him over by her good conduct. Well, so as, as males, as men, we have to be under that same law of being subject to the word of God and to the teachings of Christ. And so um, like what the Bible says, um, rather giving place to the wrath of God. We, we have to submit to God not to avenge, not to repay evil for evil, but we rather give place to the wrath of God. And when that woman submits to her husband, whether if he's unruly, obviously, like what Don was clarifying, that you submit to an extent that he's not making you uh, break God's law or go against what the Word of God says. But if you submit to him, even if he's unruly, 
God's going to take up your case. Mm -hmm. He's going to go in there and he's, he's not going to allow you to just be abused. And just like us, you know, as saints, even men and women within the body of Christ, God's eventually going to look if we're being abused by different people and he's not going to allow that to continue mm -hmm. on forever mm -hmm. as well. So yeah. just to show that, you know, a lot of things apply to both Thank parties, whether male or female, um, we're all submitted to the word of God and to one another. Hey, Wesley, your voice is sounding 100% well, clear. I, I was going to say that same thing. Hey, man, I, I, I don't know what you did, but it sounds better, Wes. Yeah, sounds <laughs> no, the point that Wes has made is very important. Uh, for one thing, you have to note, and men have to note, that if we make a decision and, and call our, lives, our wives along with that decision, we better make sure we're making the right decision too because we're facing God with it. If we do something wrong and, and, and do it and a man does it just to make his wife do what he wants to do, he's in trouble with God then, you see, because uh, he's, he's he, you see, as we go on in Ephesians 5, it says that the man is to love his wife like he loves his own body. Yeah. For no man has ever hated his own self, but loves and cherishes and takes care of it. So as a husband, I want the best thing for my wife. Yeah. I want to uh, make sure that she is taken care of. If, if she gets too much on her, I, I want to help her. Mm -hmm. I vacuum the carpet in here and all, <laughs> you know, today. So I, I want to I, I take care of my wife. Right. I want my wife to be blessed. I want to make the right decisions for, that my wife is going to be blessed with those decisions. I don't want to make bad decisions that she's going to suffer for a decision. Why? Because I love my wife. But the woman needs to be assured in yourself, you know, if, if she can be assured that, that it helps her, I know my husband loves me. I know he's not going to do something to me that's going to hurt me. Even if it's the wrong decision he's making, I know he's doing it because he's looking out for me too. And if I have to sit here and let him learn through the wrong decision he's making, I'm going to sit through and I'm going to, I'm going to just wait and let the Lord handle it. It almost takes the burden off the woman somewhat of making the wrong decision. You know, and it puts the burden on the man to make the right decision of his relationship with his relationship with God. It's the same way in the military. But, I'm, you know, for a, for a husband to be submissive to God, if he misses God on a decision and the wife is Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so if, you, if a woman can think that and understand that, it can help her to end, end that, that she's not... Because a, a person gets get scared that, well, he's just going to run over me. He's just going to take advantage of me. No, he can't. He's got to face God if he does. God's going to take care of you. And, and we're going to get into more of that in 1 Peter. But let's go a little bit further here in, in Ephesians chapter 5. Um. Okay, verse 25. Husbands. Now we go back to husbands again, Jill. Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. What did he, what, how did Christ love the church? He gave his life for it, right? So how do you love your wife? You give your life for her, okay? It's not about you anyway. It's about serving. It's a, like a servant leader, okay? He's serving his wife, but he's leading, but he's, he's thinking his, his, in his mind all the time, in his mind, in my mind, What's best for my wife? Mm -hmm. you know, what's the best thing I can do for her? What's the best decision I can make for her good? Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so that's how it really works. People sometimes get a thwarted uh, understanding of that, but that's really the way it works, and that's the way God ordained it to work. Okay, uh, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. There you go. That He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the word of the word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church. Now He's talking more with us, the church having not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that. It should be holy and without blemish. And, of course, we want the wife to be, to be that, and, we, and, we, and we're going to be that. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Uh, uh, that uh, as their own bodies, he that are sitting there, and, or, or Ben, uh, either one of them, and they get married to a wife. Uh, ben, what did you say? He no. <laughs> when they get married to a wife, then they leaving their mother and father. And they cleaving to their wife. Mm -hmm. Now, if I go barge in Ben's marriage, I have no business doing that. Because he left me, he's left us. He's on his own. He's making his own decision. He's the head of his own wife. I can't go tell him that he needs to be submissive to me anymore because he's not under me. He left the the mother and father, and they have their own lives. I don't go mingle in his life. I don't go mingle in his life. They're on their own. They're, they're, they've got their own families. If he comes to me and asks advice, fine. But I don't go tell him. That's right. You know, unless I'm sharing the gospel, he's walking off the wrong, in the wrong direction. But that's his marriage. That's his life. He's left me. He's left his mother. And he's married another woman. And they, they are, they're a family. They're an entity then. That's why he says you don't go back and bring the mother and father back into the marriage. No. You leave that out. You live, they live their life. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, uh, so here we go. For this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife she, see that she reverence her husband. Let's go back to First Peter now. I want to note in verse, let's go to verse 7. He says, likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of God, life, that your prayers be not hindered. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? (laughs) In other words, if you're not doing your wife right, right. and and you're praying about something, Mm -hmm. you may not get your prayer answered. You need to get things right with your wife first. (laughs) And then get your prayer, then go to the prayer and get your prayer answered. So see, that puts man in a twist right there, okay? We got a twist. And I, I, I have had that in my life in the past. Where uh, maybe my wife and I uh, got in an argument, mm-hmm. and I and I feel a tension, yes. and I feel like my, I go to pray, and I feel like I don't feel it. I go, I make it right with my wife. I go back and pray. I feel an opening. There you you say you get an opening. Well, if you treated your wife a certain way, and it wasn't correct with your heart behind you, you're, you're being disobedient. That would be sin, correct? Mm-hmm. So that means that you'd be separated from God. It, it may not even may not be a sin unto death. Well, I'm saying that, though. You know, say you raise your, your voice at your wife. Right. Then the Holy Spirit convicted you that you should not have raised your voice at your wife. Mm-hmm. And then you go back and you, 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 you uh, repent of it. You ask the Lord to forgive you, and you say, I'm not going to do that again. You go to your wife, you say, listen, I, I raised my voice at you. Honey, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. Uh, would you forgive me? And then that's over with, yeah. you see. So then the prayers are not hindered. Because you always want to keep make sure it's peace with you and your wife, and your wife and your husband. Some people you can go to though, in some marriages that you go to, and you'll do that same thing, 
and perhaps the woman or the man, either case, is still angry, and they may have a little take, have some time that they need to work this out with them, and you need to allow them that time to work it out. You do your part. Always, you do your part. Don't worry about whether they do their part or not, because you, you're only you're only accountable for what you do, Amen. not the other person. So don't try to make them receive your apology or your repentance. Amen. Just bring it to them and make it right with God. Remember, it's always God's way. Mm -hmm. You can't make somebody else change in another way. Can you? You can, all you can do is put it out there and let the Lord deal with them and give them time. And when you give them time, usually what happens after a little bit of time, things get where you can begin to communicate again and work those things out. But when you start trying... To force the mate, whether it be the husband to the wife or the wife to the husband, to do things their way, you got trouble. You don't only have trouble with your mate, but you have trouble with God too. Because you're taking it in your own hands then. And you're outside of God. God says, do not repay. And we're going to go further that. He says, verse 9, he says, not to render evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarize the other. Give them a blessing, knowing that ye, that ye are there to call that you should inherit a blessing. So when you do it God's way, you're not going to sit there and render evil. They tell you something, then you tell them something back. Then you got a big, a big, big turmoil going on. But you're going to bless them. Honey, I, I know you're mad at me right now, but listen, I love you. You know, we'll talk later. You know, let's just, let's just give it a little time. You know, and, and, and let it go. But to try to say, no, we're going to get this settled right now. Mm. You know, we're going to work this out right now. Well, that person may not be ready to work it out right now. Give them some time. Well, you're just trying to be quiet on me. You're just giving, putting me in a quiet mode. No, they just need a little time. Mm -hmm. And just let them work it out between them and God, and then they work it out with you and, and them. And just go and, and do walk in the Lord. Do you, you did your part. Don't worry about it. Amen. Just do your part. Don't try to make another person do what you want them to do. Like I said, even when they don't want to do what you do, say, hey, that's between you and God then. Mm -hmm. I did I did what I did. I did my part. I'm, I'm living for God. I'm living holy. Yeah. Ooh, this is some heavy stuff, huh? It is heavy stuff. <laughs> Everybody okay? Everybody surviving this? <laughs> well, you young guy, you're going to really know about marriage, aren't you, uh, now, brother? <laughs> okay, um... Let's go to verse 8. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful. I don't mean just be like a sorrow per sorry person. It means be show pity, show, show uh, mercy, show goodness. Uh, be courteous. Huh? Tender heart. Tender heart. That's a good word. Tender heart towards one another. Uh, not, and, 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 you know, a lot of people stop here and say, well, that's the end, that's the end of what it's talking about, man. Husbands and wives now. No, it's not. He's still talking about husbands and wives. Yeah. When he says, don't render evil for evil. But, 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 uh, or really for really. But contrary to God's blessing, knowing that you, you are there to call that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days. Anybody, anybody here want to love life and see good days? Yeah. There's no depression in loving life and seeing good days. Okay? That's good. Everybody wants to have that. How do you do it? Well, here it is. Here's, here's how you do it. Let him refrain his tongue from evil. Mm -hmm. Husbands, wives, don't say anything evil to one another. Right. 
Hold your tongue. And his lip, and his lips that they speak no guile. Now, what is guile? Deceitfulness, trickery, de deceit, thinking something that's that's not right. Or not be. Uh, yeah, can be. But don't let any guile come out. Remember, Jesus uh, had no guile. First Peter two. First Peter chapter two. Read that scripture for me. You got it with handy. <clears throat> I can get it. Okay. Um, you ready? What? You ready for it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. It says, For even unto you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps, which is in verse 21. Verse 22 says, Who did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth. So he had no deceit in his mouth whatsoever. Verse 22. Um, so the opposite of having deceit in your mouth would be that you, you speak the truth all the time. You don't lie or, or justify yourself in any kind of way, but you're just really honest in your, from, in your mouth. It comes out of your mouth toward one another. You did wrong. You say you did wrong. You uh, don't trick anybody into think, making them think one thing when you're doing something else. That you're blameless to everybody around. That's what it means. It means to be where they can't blame you for doing anything right. deceitful but that it was all straightforward and honest yes. before every, before the wife, before the husband, or before anyone. Mm -hmm. Let him eschew evil. What does that mean? It means get away from it. It's being putrid and chew it. Put it away from you. Put away all evil from you. And do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Amen. The Bible says be at peace with all men, especially... Know, if at all possible, and now some people in the world, it's not possible, but if you say that's why it says if at all possible, especially in your household, though, yeah. you want to have peace in your house. Yeah. I've had people that come to my house and stay here at the house, I'm really blessed because they said, man, there's something about when I stay here at this house, I just feel a peace. I feel a you know, real thing. I like that. I like when people say that because we have peace in our house. It, was it always like that? No, it was not. But now it is, and that's what's important. We've got peace in our house. We have, uh, my wife and I have peace with each other. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Who is he against? That person that speaks guile? That person that's fighting with the other one? He's not, his ears are not open to their prayers. Why? Because they got sin in their heart. Mm -hmm. You remember Isaiah? Look at Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Don, would you read verse 1 and 2? Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So he, so what's going to separate God from you? Sin. 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 So if you, if you, and that's kind of the same thing he's saying here in 1 Peter 3, right? He's saying if you, if you got this sin in your heart, the Lord's not hearing you. Can you physically hear? Yeah, he hears everything. But I'm saying he shut his ears to hear you. Like he's not going to answer your prayer. 
Hey, in Psalms 51, uh, David quotes something similar to that, if you allow me to read it. Sure. Uh, it says in verse 8, starting, it says, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do you know the time that David said that? You know what was yeah. going on in David's life? That's Psalms 51. Mm -hmm. Do you know? Tell me what's going on if you know. If you don't, I'm going to say it. Okay. David, at this time, this was right after David sinned with Bathsheba. Okay? And he was, and he was broken. And he, and he said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because he had the Holy Spirit. He said, because of what I've done. He's broken and he's repenting. And he said, uh, hide not your, your spirit from me. And it created me a clean heart. Because his heart was dirty because of what he had done. So that's a prayer of repentance. A lot of, I know a lot of people make a song out of it, but that's not right. You don't, need, you don't need to keep saying that. He didn't write it to keep saying that. He wrote it because it was an experience that he had in his life. That's good. Just like many of us experience when we, when we fail God and we, we sin, then we did like David did. Because David had, was a man of God. Until he, until he did that, then he, then he became an enemy of God. And then he repented of that and he yeah. came back to the Lord. Right. Wes? Go ahead, Wes. Yeah, good, uh, good point. It's, don't make a, a song out of it. It's, <laughs> it's for everybody that's really turning from all their sin um, and through repentance. And, you know, David obviously did that. Um, but it also, in a, just to go along with what you're saying uh, from Isaiah 59, um, you know, that the, God doesn't hear the prayers of those that are still living in wickedness. Their sin and their iniquity have separated them from their God. Um, but verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, um, makes me think of, in, uh, you know, who does God see? In um, Second Chronicles chapter, um, let me see if I got the right, you probably know this one. Um, verse 9, verse 16, verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of whose heart is loyal to him. And then Asa, and this you've done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. But he's looking for those that are loyal, and that's who his eyes are on, or the righteous. And in Jeremiah chapter 5, it also says something similar to this. It says, run to and fro throughout the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know and seek in her open places. If you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. So God's eyes are continuously scanning and looking for somebody that's really righteous. And that's who his eyes are upon. Or he's looking for somebody that's humble and of a contrite spirit, you know, for, you know, because anybody that's humble and contrite, he will by no means cast out. So he's looking for two different things. He's looking for a repentant heart, first off, for somebody that's truly turning to him wholeheartedly. And then he's also looking for those that are truly walking in righteousness. So obviously God's not looking for something that can't, that can't happen. So those that, you know, teach this, you know, basically a false teaching of that no one's righteous, no, not one, no one can do the right thing. Well, if no one can do the right thing, why is God looking for it? So it's obviously in faith towards following his teachings, 
not just doing something out of your own ambition or your own logic of what you think you could do good that's acceptable before God. But if God tells you to do something and you obey it, to him that is righteousness and to him that is faith. That's good. What was that scripture in Jeremiah you quoted us? Uh, Second yeah. Chronicles. Oh, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 2. Yeah, okay, good. Thank you. Sorry, right. Good one to go back and look at Bible 5, verse 2. Okay, um, thank you for that. Uh, good, good word, Wes. Um, let's go ahead and, and wrap up First uh, Peter chapter 3 now. Let's go back there. Um, but I like what he said in, in, um, in, in the book of Second Chronicles 17, because that, that's the story of Asa. Asa was also a great man of God at one time. He totally relied on the Lord. He had an army coming against him of a million that was coming, and he had an army that was basically had half as many men. But yet Asa said, the Lord's not looking at numbers. He says, I'm, I'm counting on the Lord. And he trusted God, and God fought the battle with him, and he overcame. But then as time went on, kind of like David, he became relaxed in, in his walk. And he, uh, when another army came against him, he didn't rely on the Lord. He hired some others to come in and help him uh, to get rid of the enemy. And a prophet came to Asa and said, why did you not rely on the Lord? He says, you relied on the hands of the flesh. You brought these others in to fight, and now you will have wars from now on because you didn't rely on me. And that's when the Lord came and says, says uh, that the Lord looks to and fro throughout the earth to find someone that heart is perfect toward him that he can show his strength through. And the Bible says after that, Asa was so furious that he took that prophet that came to him and told him that and put him in prison and fed him with the bread of affliction. And then Asa got a, a sickness, a disease in his feet. And uh, Asa again, he didn't seek the Lord again. He just sought the physicians. Again, he was not relying on the Lord. So he ended up, got infected and killed him. So the Lord wants us to rely. Somebody would say, well, I don't want to buy the Lord with this thing. The Lord wants us to rely on him. You know, that's the desire of God. But here back in 1 Peter, I thought it was, I thought it was excellent uh, going over this today. I think it's very much needed in families and, and relationships of what we're talking about here. And verse 13 says, let's wrap it up. He says, and who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Like, you know, the Bible says in Romans 8, if God be for us, who can be against us? You know? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? You, know, you know, I mean, God's, God's on your side. You know, fear him not who's able to kill the body, you know, right. but after has power to cast into hell. So don't, don't God say, don't fear him. He says, the Lord, the Lord will never leave me nor forsake me. He'll never leave you. If you walk in his right, he'll never leave you or forsake you. For the Lord is my helper, helper. I will not fear what man shall do to me, is what the scripture says. So don't, you don't need to fear, well, if my husband takes advantage of me or, what, or, or any of that. Just put it in the hands of the Lord. But if you suffer for righteous sake, be happy. <laughs> you doing what's right? And you suffer for it? Be happy, the Bible said. Uh, and be not afraid of their terror. Mm -hmm. Neither be troubled. Don't worry about it. Right. So what if you lose some financial things? That's okay. 
There was a king in the Old Testament. His name was King Amaziah. Anybody remember King Amaziah? King Amaziah was the king of Judah. And he had a great army coming against him. And it, the, the army was outnumbered. He was outnumbered again, just like Asa was. And so what he did, he didn't have enough men. So he went and hired some Israelites. Now, Israel at that time was, was, walk, was walking against God. They were not serving God. God was against them because they were really walking wrong. So he paid like God a great sum of money. It might have been equal to millions of dollars today to come and fight this battle with him to destroy the enemy. They get ready to go fight the battle, Cedric. And when they get ready to go fight the battle, a prophet comes to, to, uh, to Amaziah. And he says, God didn't want you to hire these, these Israelites. He didn't want you to hire them. He said, give their money back to them. He said, man, I already paid all this money for these Israelites to come fight with me. Now you're saying God's not going to let me win the battle if I let them fight with me. The prophet said, that's right. He said, well, what about all the money that I'm going to lose? He said, what about the money, what it was going to cost him? You don't have to worry about what it's going to cost you when it's on. And the prophet said to him, is not the God that blessed you with the money able to give you much more mm -hmm. than what you were going to lose by that? He said, don't worry about that. God is able to take care. God is looking over you. If God before you, who can be against you? He's watching your back if you're walking in him. If the husband makes the wrong decision, God's able to fix all that. It's okay. Just walk and be obedient to God and walk in his word. And don't worry about protecting yourself. Let God protect you. That's what Amen. his word says over and over again. Amen? Amen. Praise God. We're going to stop right there and uh, move on uh, into uh, communion time and worship.